This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Have you noticed how bad service is just about everywhere these days? Whether it's a trip to a restaurant I haven't been to since COVID or an attempt to buy some clothing, it always seems to be a long, frustrating experience. I have even required multiple trips to pick up prescriptions that were supposed to be ready. Now, I have a lot of sympathy and patience for businesses that were hit hard by the pandemic and that were closed for long periods and that are suffering labor shortages. And we're going to hear more about those labor uh, shortages, and that's in areas like the hospitality sector. But there are others who have done very well throughout the time. And I think there are some out there who are just trying to make more money by cutting corners. And it's on the assumption that we, the customers, are now used to lining up. We're used to waiting. We're used to not settling for something other than what we need. So, uh, another problem is that many businesses, small businesses, you know, the kind in your neighborhood where you know the owner and the staff, and they are committed to doing a good job. Well, a lot of those are gone or they're strapped and we have international brands left. And frankly, they just don't care because they know we don't have a lot of options. Sometimes they're the only game available. And I'm going to name one because this, I think, is really annoying. So I ordered something from Zara, which is a very big international clothing thing. They sent it in the wrong size. I drove to a store so the return would be done properly. Well, guess what? It's their mistake, but would they refund the shipping? They would not. The staff, it's not the fault of the staff in the store. They don't have, excuse me, a way of doing that. If I don't like it, I can talk to a bot. And with a lot of companies, the only kind of customer care, customer service available is from a bot. So, You certainly can't reach anyone by a phone at a location. Forget about it. So I'd like to hear from you. Are you as frustrated as I am? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'd like to hear you can vent about some of the bad service you probably encountered lately. Now I'm joined by Larry Isaacs, president of the Firkin Group of Pubs, Sean Belding, a global expert on customer experience, and Jeff Doucette, the general manager of Field Agent Canada. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to you all. Thanks, Libby. Let us begin with Jeff. And Jeff, uh, you did a survey. I'm not alone. A lot of people are experiencing really bad service. Yeah, so we did a survey earlier in the year about this um, whole idea about um, you know just changes that are happening in stores and in service industries in general. Um, we have a panel of about 180,000 Canadians that we uh, that have our smartphone app, and we pay them to do surveys and audits uh, through the app. And what uh, they told us was that clearly there was worse service being experienced um, in stores and in other service industries like restaurants and hotels and those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, for example, 61% of the shoppers that we surveyed noticed fewer employees in the stores, um, and 44% said they've experienced worse customer service. Yeah. Um, Larry, uh, you are with the Firkin Group of Pubs, and as I uh, said earlier, I have a lot of sympathy for the hospitality industry because they really took it 
during the pandemic. And I know there are big labor shortages. Uh, so I know that it's probably hard for you to recruit people. Libby, I think people don't really understand the massive impact right now of the labor shortage, not only in Ontario and across Canada, but the world. We are asking everybody we know, where has everybody gone? I think you have to take a step back into COVID. And and yes, as you said, we've taken a massive, massive hit over the two years of COVID, lost many businesses, taken on huge debt, tried our best to keep some of the staff. But over the past two years, people's minds have changed as how they operate. Their expectations as a consumers right now is immediate gratification. They've been used to the online world for the last two years. And when you wake up in the morning, there's a box outside your door. Or an hour later, there's a box outside your door and you get what you need. We haven't been able to bring our service levels back to where we want because we cannot find people. People are coming to stores asking for cash. They're asking for double the amount that you would normally pay for that position. And even if you bring them in and you train them, half of them don't show up after you've trained them. Half of them leave after three days. It's too hard to work. They ask for less time, less hours. So I think people really have to take a step back and calm down and respect the fact that the hospitality business, and I know this for more than just hospitality, is trying their best to hire people. We have even gone so far right now as to go on government websites of Ukrainian refugees coming in to see if there's any way we can access any of the people are coming in from foreign countries to get them to work. We have tried everything, and there's just nobody available. Hmm. Um, Yeah, uh, I don't know. uh, Well, the the Ukrainian... I won't go. Well, they're not permanent refugees. They have work permits, but I don't know uh, how easily that will work. You know, anecdotally, this is uh, from just before the pandemic, but there's a restaurant up the street from us. Uh, the owner, one of the owners is from Argentina. Her brother, who was extremely well qualified, came over and they tried to sponsor him to work with them. I mean, in, in their restaurant and it was turned down. So he went back uh, to his country, even though, uh, to our mind, a uh, lovely young man, very educated, exactly the kind of immigrant that we'd want. So there you go. Absolutely. Have you seen the results at Pearson Airport recently of trying to get through security? Yep. It's pandemonium. Pandemonium. Yeah, well, that's that's Katza. Uh, and yep. people, if you want more about that, I will have more on that in Zoomer Week in Review this Sunday <laughs> at noon. Uh, but yes, as I said, when it comes to hospitality, I, I have a lot of time and sympathy. As a matter of fact, uh, I belong to a sports club. There's food service there. And we just got an email yesterday saying, uh, I'm sure you've noticed we have fewer people working and uh, there's a terrible labor shortage. Correct. And I think people don't understand that it's not that we're trying to cut corners. Yes, we've lost millions of dollars over the last two years. We want to provide the service. We want people to come out again. We want people back in their offices. But where are we supposed to find the people? We're on every single website. We're advertising everywhere. Where has everybody gone? Well, uh, before I move move along here, I would have thought this makes sense to me when people were collecting CERB, so they had a cushion. But surely uh, the people who would normally work in the hospitality industry, I mean, aren't they going to run out of money and figure out that they kind of have to work? You would believe that, but the reality is people have moved on from the industry over the last two years, and it hasn't brought in the next phase. Normally, the university students and others start coming coming up to us and looking for jobs, and it just hasn't happened this year. And it seems as though people have left the insecurity where we constantly were saying, well, come to work, leave work, come to work, had to move on to somewhere else. People have got bills to pay and, uh, you know, university uh, things to but pay. But to what, Larry? To what, to what would they have moved on to? I wish I could tell you, maybe startup companies, maybe online jobs. We are searching. We don't have the answers. We need help. We need the government to step in and really help us have incentives for people to come back to work. It's crazy. And it's not just us. It's not just hospitality. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about online. Well, you know, as I said, I've had some bad experiences trying to do online shopping, and then there really is no one to talk to. Um, let us bring in Sean Belding. Hi, Sean. Sean, are you there? Can you hear me okay? Uh, uh, now we just uh, are hearing you. So, Oh, good. That, I, I have to learn how to use the mute button on the phone better. That's all. So. Yeah, it's time. It's time to learn how to use the mute <laughs> button. Sean, so, uh, what, you know, we, we're hearing from Larry about the labor shortages. We believe that is true, but I don't think that's the whole story. I think there are people cutting corners because some people, some sectors have done very well throughout this. And uh, I think I, I, I have a feeling that, you know, they know we've been used to lining up. We've been used to all of that. Am I being unfair here? I, I don't think so. I, although I do think it's more, certainly what we're seeing is more compartmentalized. Uh, e-commerce, absolutely. Um, try, go on to any e-commerce organization and try to get customer service. Well, they create all these barriers. See, like they want you to do self-serve. Like, so how many hoops do you have to jump through to actually contact people? They build those in place so that they can reduce the number of people they have to have in their call centers. And they've been gradually doing that now for, gosh, you know, six, eight years. And, and of course, now with we have the pandemic and more and more people were relying on e-commerce then we really started to notice it. But no, that, however... In restaurants, and to, you know, in Larry's defense, what he's saying, in, in most most um, retail, that's not the case. Now, there, there have been some retail segments like grocery stores and and, and uh, things like that that have that have been pushing towards automated, you know, checkouts. So at some at some point in time, it's just all going to be self serve. So they've been pushing that for for over a decade. Um, but I think, like certainly in the hospitality industry, in uh, in, in in restaurants and hotels, in in a lot of these smaller retail business, people are crying for people. And um, and I, one of the really interesting things you wonder where the people are going. <clears throat> I think number one was an inevitability of uh, the, at the top end of baby boomers starting to drop off. Not that sounded bad when I said it that meant retire um, is, is a better way to put it. And um, but one of the things that's happening though is that when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden no people aren't working and you have people that are in you know perhaps in the hospitality business again or hotel restaurant retail and there's a lot of companies that are perhaps they pay better perhaps they have different types of jobs or work from home experiences they've got people that are starting to retire that that have said when the pandemic hits it okay that's enough i can i don't have to do this so they're starting to poach from from this, from that okay. retail hospitality end. Okay, let us take a call from Bob in North York. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? Good, thanks. I love to hear your topic this morning. I almost clapped out loud. Thank you, thank you for this. Um, you talked about one store, uh, pharmacy. Okay, let's not name, name it. Let's not name it. Because, oh, yeah, on. we haven't given them the opportunity to respond, but go ahead and tell the story. Well, they were on your show a couple of years ago, and uh, they were the next best thing uh, since sliced bread. Uh, I have a different opinion. Um, the service is terrible. Uh, mistakes are made at the pharmacy. Uh, nobody takes responsibility. Uh, I heard somebody say something about o- ordering a, a prescription then going over, being told that it's there, and then going over, waiting in a lineup of six people when it takes five minutes to wait on each person, and then when you get there, it's not there. Yep, yep. The word sorry never crosses their mind. Now, they've got the wrong person here because I just moved here four years ago from a small town in Nova Scotia, and I don't put up with that kind of stuff. I worked at a bank for 32 years, and we spent so much money training our staff on good service that it just overwhelms me how people can get away with what they do. Their frontline cashiers are miserable, they're mean, they're rude, 
and I go on Facebook and I see things about all these poor workers. They're going with the uh, automated uh, cashiers that don't use them. I would much rather, I have more, a, a more pleasant experience talking to a, a machine than I do to a person in these stores. Again, they take no responsibility for anything. So I was really glad to hear that. I did uh, solve that problem by moving to another store here. Well, is it, uh, uh, the thing you should North. know? Uh, the thing you should know about uh, pharmacies is that they're they're uh, individually owned. So you'll get a big, uh, you know, a big divergence. Some are well run, some are not. I would say most are probably well run. But um, yeah, it's 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 not like one big thing. They're individually owned. Okay. Okay. Bob in North York, thank you very much for your story. Uh, Again, people, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And I'm going to tell an amusing story, which shows how uh, desperate people are to hire people. So this is pretty funny. There's a small kind of... uh, uh, takeout place that we get smoked salmon from every weekend. It's, it's a luxury. Yes. So, and my husband usually picks it up and he is largely retired and, uh, you know, it's, it's a luxury. And he went in the other day and there was a young woman who was new and she starts to tell them, explain everything they have. She was obviously well trained. He stopped her and said, I come here all the time. So many times I, I know exactly what you have. And she said, oh, yeah, like how many times? 10 times or 200 times? And he said, well, 200 times, you know, I could probably do your job. They were joking around. Then he goes to the cash to pay. And the manager at the cash looks at him and says, do you have a resume? Larry. I mean, yes. Literally, you are taking people that are walking in to have lunch and asking them if they've got friends, family, anybody that they know. You've got to remember right now, and, and, and I hear the comments about the pharmacy and things like that. I think we, this is a more complicated issue than everybody understands. You have to remember one thing that's impacting staff hiring for some operations right now is the cost of goods. The cost of goods have gone through the roof. The cost of gas has gone through the roof. The cost of oil has gone up. So the reality, some businesses that, ha- that do want to give good service are also impacted by those costs in order to stay alive. And the first thing that gets impacted is service. So these are big, big issues that the government really has to step up and get involved in because these aren't simple issues that business owners can solve themselves. There are too many big issues out there right now. We need help. Uh, Jeff, would you agree with that? Well, I think there's always a trade-off, right, between what people want to pay and the service and products that they get. And and the reality is a lot of business owners, I think, are stuck with increasing labor costs, shortages of labor, inflation in general. Um, You know, you look at a grocery store operation, for instance, and yes, uh, pretty much everything on that on the shelf there is is going up, and and there's been lots of conversations about price increases, and you know certain companies not having other people's chips on the shelves and all that sort of thing. Um, but you know at a at a certain point, a business has no more give, and you know a lot of businesses prior to the pandemic were running really razor thin, sort of almost week to week, and then a lot of businesses got. Um, sort of taken out through COVID. And, and now, you know, these businesses that did survive, um, you know, they're struggling still. You know, it's not like they were, you know, big fat cats and had lots of money um, that they were making. It was, they were really kind of struggling to get by. And, you know, there, I think there's a lot of different issues, you know, where people expect that the, uh, you know, the delivery truck shows up the next day when you order something online. You know, there's a lot of new jobs in that space that are taking employees away from, um, you know, say hospitality sector, other places. So I, I really think that, you know, before we kind of start complaining about the service that we're seeing, I, I think we do really need to be understanding of the underlying causes of it, which are sort of out of control of most individual businesses. Well, I, when you're talking about uh, online shopping, taking uh, jobs away, I mean, I mean 
that sector is notorious for bad working conditions for the people in the warehouses, the number of deliveries they have to do. I'm I'm not sure I, I get that. Larry, have you encountered people who would rather go work for an Amazon? Well, I think the reality about the online and e-commerce operations right now is the stable income. It is a guaranteed income for employees, whereas in hospitality sector, you don't know if these businesses are going to be busy enough to maintain your job and keep you full time. How many times during the pandemic did you have to lay off the staff? And eventually people say, hey, we've got bills to pay, too. We've got rent to pay. We've got food to buy. We need to know that we have an income. So when you go to e-commerce right now, people have jobs and they are real jobs that will pay you with benefits. And if you look at companies like Amazon, they can afford to give people benefits and pensions and bonuses and all kinds of incentives. Where Jeff was saying, and he's correct, um, the reality is we don't have that ability. We've been so tight on margins for years. Nobody has cash reserves of millions lying around. Then you close for two years. And when you wake up, there's no staff. And the staff that you have want double the price. Your product's gone up. So you're very, very thin. So your opportunities aren't great for employees in, in, the, in the hospitality sector and retail right now. And that needs to change. Uh, Sean, would you say that uh, that will kind of work itself out now that we seem to be more or less out of COVID and restrictions keep easing? Is that just something that's going to take a few more months? Is he mute again? <laughs> okay, maybe Sean. That better. There we go. I, I wish I could um, say that I, uh, you know, but I, I agree with both Larry and Jeff, and I, I think it, uh, Jeff said it's more complex, and it is very complex. And as Larry said, you know, there's there's been this trend, and the reality is uh, is that right now, just the, whole, the way the whole world, this isn't Canada, this is this is globally, um, all these scenarios and, and inflation has just multiplied on it. Um, and I just want to add this one: the last little thing is that on top of all the stuff that's going on. COVID happened, this pandemic happened in the middle of, before, before it happened, in the middle of a sort of this perfect storm going on. And because we track the news, we keep a list of the top 10, top, bottom 10 worst customer experiences um, and for, for our blogs. And um, one of the things that's happened, if you look at, at this news clippings from starting in around 2017, people are getting nastier, generally speaking. Customers are getting nastier. Employees have less patience. So now you put the pandemic on it, and it's not a fun place to be right now. Okay. Yes, but I've, I've got I'm, calls are lining up, so I have to take them. But uh, one thing I do want to say is maybe customers are not, the only way to get any attention at all. It seems to me, with some of these places, is is to be nasty, probably on Twitter. Uh, but let me uh, take a call from Crystal in Aurora. Hi, Crystal. Hello, Libby. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Go ahead. Well, mine is, you know what? The banks are making record-breaking um, money. They're in the billions. And when you go online, when you have to do something and you want to talk to customer service, you're on hold for a good 20 to 30 minutes. And as soon as they answer the call, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the long wait. Like, the banks are making, like, big profits. And exactly. they don't have enough people for customer service. Right. And the customer service, I mean, sometimes it doesn't matter where they are, but uh, they're nowhere near where you are. Yeah. Yep, that's that's a that's a good point. And yes, the banks are doing well. And why don't they have more people in those jobs? Because those, uh, uh, you know, uh, like Larry was saying, those would be stable jobs. Crystal, thanks very much for your call. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks. I love your show, Libby. Take Thank care. you. Let us go to Natalie in Mississauga. Why do I have that echo? Natalie? Hi, Libby. Uh, do you have the radio on, Natalie? I do. Uh, you have to turn it down. Okay. Um, how's this? That's better. Okay, go okay. ahead, Natalie. Great. Um, hi. I just wanted to say that uh, this has been happening for a while now. I usually shop at my uh, neighborhood, No Frills, and uh, we always go at the same time, and the same thing keeps happening. 
we find that one cashier is open. And you end up getting about up to nine people before I, I am the only one that will go and say, could someone get someone, please, someone else. The poor girl, she's backed up, she's stressed out. And you have all these other kids, girls, whatever, young people working there, taking online orders, yep. filling up their carts for people that are at home. And yet here we are, frustrated, having to go out, having to get our, do our hard work, and we have to stand and, and wait and deal with this. Well, that's one of the biggest companies. They do very well. I'm going to give a shout out to my grocery store is an independent store. I think it's the largest independent store, a grocery store in Toronto. They have lots of staff. A lot of them are very young kids, probably on their first job, but they are trained and the older staff are actually knowledgeable about the products and they've done an incredible job throughout the pandemic. And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's Tell why I shop at an independent grocer. Pardon? Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. It's not everywhere, but uh, the big, big chains—they're not going to put more than one cashier. Yeah. So you why do you wait. go there? Is it cheaper? I'm sorry. Why do you go there? Is it cheaper? Oh <laughs> no way! Not a chance. It's actually gone. It's gone through the roof. The prices, but um, I guess it is. We're used to it for many years. And, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Why we just not switch to another, um, same store, but try see different area. Yeah. Thank I mean, you, okay. Thank you for that, Natalie. I mean, in terms of the price of food going through the roof, that you can't put that on the retailers. That's inflation and that's, that's their costs. I mean, Larry, uh, I'm sure that's a big problem for you. It is a big problem. I mean, look, there's no doubt that you're starting to see automation around the business world as well. And that becomes challenging because I think if you look what's happened over the last two years through COVID, people don't know how to socialize properly. They don't know how to communicate properly because they've spent the last literally two years at home ordering online. So the good old days when you went into the bank and you knew the bank manager's name and everybody knew your name, those days are all gone. And that was prior to COVID. Things are becoming automated. I don't like the world of automation. I think technology is fantastic and FaceTime is amazing. Talk to people all over the world. But we need people to come together. We need people to get out there and work. We need people to get out there and shop. People cannot live at home on their couches for the next 50 years. It doesn't make any sense. And I think a lot of this frustration is coming from people that don't know how to communicate properly anymore because they've never had to talk to anybody over the last few years. Mm, I think people want to talk to each other. Uh, I I think, uh, yes, that is definitely the case. Uh, I'm looking down. We're out of time. I'm sure we will revisit this. But uh, uh, quickly, Jeff Doucette, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I think it's going to be bumpy over the next year to 18 months. I think one of the things that we kind of danced around but didn't talk about directly is that the flow of new Canadians into Canada has been cut off for the last two years. You know, it's it's been impossible to travel and we're pretty highly dependent on those folks to fill some of these jobs. And so maybe there's an answer there of of, uh, encouraging more immigration to Canada to increase the labor pool because at the end of the day, if there's not enough people to go around, somebody's customer service is going to suffer. Um, and it's really who has the most amount of money to, to draw those employees over who are going to get the employees. Larry, I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds. I would like to see the government get involved in bringing migrant workers in. I'd like to people see get out of their homes. I'd like to see people get back to their offices and people to be respectful and give everybody a chance to get back on their feet properly. Okay. All sounds very good. Thank you so much, Jeff Doucette, Larry Isaacs, and Sean Belding. And people, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow, so if I couldn't get to your call about service, uh, call back tomorrow. It's the day we talk about what you want to talk about. And now we are taking a break. When we return, we're going to talk about a huge development. It's way over in Alberta, but I think it has ramifications. And Jason Kenney, the Premier, is out. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Last night, there was a seismic change in Canada's conservative political landscape. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney resigned after he received 51.4% in a vote of confidence on his leadership from his party. He said that, quote, while 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold, it is clearly not adequate support to continue as leader. And my understanding is that as soon as his party, the United Conservative Party, picks an interim leader, that person will also take over as premier. Uh, so why is this significant for us here? Let us go to Michael Tobe, a columnist and former speechwriter for former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Hi, Michael. Hey, Libby. How are you? Fine. Uh, are, were you surprised by this? Well, like most people, yes, I was. I think there were very few people who assumed this was going to happen, or at least the turn of events would sort of occur last night the way they did. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, people certainly knew that, and conservative insiders knew that Jason Kenney wouldn't get an enormous amount of support as leader. But when I was asked in interviews, uh, you know, over the past week or two, I said the same line that a lot of others have, that from what I gather, from what I understand, and based on the fact that his personal popularity numbers have increased a bit over the past few months, I thought that he would be able to hopefully hit privately somewhere in the high 50s, low 60s, which isn't great, but would have been enough to at least say that, you know, we're getting part of the way back there, we have a long way to go, and so do I, or something to that effect. It could have probably worked. 51.4%, as you correctly said off the top, is far too low. That's nearly half the, the party doesn't want him to remain as leader. And it really, even though his numbers obviously would continue to increase if he continued to perform well as leader, it's a terrible base to start from. Not as bad as, say, what Ralph Klein faced when he had a leadership review. He was actually below 50%, but it's a number that's so low that I certainly can understand Jason Kenney having known him a long period of time that he would be frustrated by this, certainly embarrassed by it, Michael, and and did the right thing to leave. Michael, uh, so... The word is that his party, of course, it was the amalgamation of uh, Wild Rose, which is more right wing and and the what I would call more. No, the Alberta PC. Yeah, right. Uh, And the the more mainstream and that he was Mm -hmm. out because he was considered not conservative enough. And we have uh, seen that play out at the federal level, uh, same thing, and it's playing out right now in the conservative leadership race. So is that kind of a uh, a fatal flaw when you try to bring together uh, two parties that have very different ideas of what it means to be conservative and what the ideology is? Well, look, I know people are conflating that right now. You're not unique. Others are doing it, too. I'm not willing to go that far as of yet. I agree that it is difficult to keep two parties or a disparate amount of parties together when you form something new or try to create a cohesive unit. So I accept that. At the same time, I think that, unfortunately, what happened here is less about the the old Wild Rose faction and the old Alberta PC faction and more about Jason Kenney's leadership or premiership in the past few months. And I think basically his decision during COVID-19 to basically open up the province arbitrarily last summer and then have to sort of rush back when he realized that COVID-19 numbers were escalating, that he had to basically close it down and lock it down as quickly as possible. I think it gave people, unfortunately, on the one hand, a false sense of hope that things were starting to go down at that period of time, at least in terms of the actual or daily COVID-19 numbers. And then it frustrated them that they had to basically go through this at the same time, where they had to go back into a lockdown procedure, which, as we know, based on what we're experiencing this year, any politician or party that had to do something like that, you know, you'd get some grumbling here and there, but you would get an enormous amount of frustration. That was part of it. Other parts as well, he's had some difficulty and some uh, controversies in terms of the way he's handled things. There have been, you know, there were some photos that were taken of him having, you know, some fine dining during COVID-19 on a rooftop where they weren't wearing yeah. masks and people were frustrated over that. 
they were frustrated by the fact that it just, you know, you see Calgary Sun columnists like Rick Bell and others suggest them ways that they could, you know, ensure that the UCP would maintain a proper amount of support and would actually have a, a good economic position, good political positions, and ensure that everyone felt welcome and felt part of the party. People saw or thought or perceived that there was some distance between Kenny's leadership and the way the government was being operated. And I think that problem itself just caused a lot of problems. And I think that the issue just got worse during COVID-19 and the way that Kenny handled his leadership. I think it's a lot more than people are looking at. And it really doesn't have as much to do with the merger of the two parties, which happened several years ago and more about Kenny's leadership. But here's it, the problem. But wait a minute. Forward, so, and I'll let you talk. It's the next leader that's going to be in the biggest position. So whether it's Brian Jean, Daniel Smith, or whomever, they're the ones who are going to have to keep everything together. And that's going to be the difficult stage. Okay. Everything uh, that I have been reading about this suggests that his problem largely, uh, people, uh, they were upset because there was too much in the way of lockdowns and that he uh, is not considered conservative enough. But uh, why would this be significant for the rest of us here? Well, Jason Kenney was conservative enough. I agree with people like Sean Spear and others who worked for the Harper government a few years after I did, maintaining the fact that Kenney actually ran the most center-right government in this country and possibly the most center-right government we've seen provincially since the days of Mike Harris. I completely agree with that if you look at the economic policy and the political policy. I agree with you that during COVID-19, that proved to be an enormous distraction to Mr. Kenney's leadership. And it just basically created sort of an unbalanced routine that, yes, people felt that there were there was too much in terms of lockdown restrictions and otherwise. But I think really it was the reopening of the problems that caused the biggest problem. But going forward, what does it teach? I think that obviously for conservative leaders, whether we're looking at the federal conservative leadership race or we're looking at provincial premiers, I think a lot of them will actually look at this and realize that, again, a consistent key core message is the best route to electoral success and to governmental success as well. To manage a government day-to-day is difficult. doesn't matter whether you're right-leaning or left-leaning, but the real key to success is that you have to have a consistent message that not only resonates with, you know, grassroots supporters, red meat conservatives, if we're talking about the conservative party or whomever, versus how the general public looks at you and how they perceive what you're doing, what you're proposing, how you're governing, how you're managing, and whether the results actually ultimately make sense. Uh, That's why why we see Ontario, for example, in the Ontario election, we see Premier Doug Ford looking like he's going to get a second successive majority government in this province and in a very different state and position than, unfortunately, the soon-to-be former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is in. Okay, Michael Tobe, thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care. We are we are taking another break and when we come back we will talk to the newly minute, minted head of Ontario's scientific advisory table and we'll bring you up to speed on how many people have covid. Look, we just heard from two party leaders today. When we come back, You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have just learned that two of the four party leaders vying for the premiership have tested positive for COVID and are self-isolating. We wish them all the best, but... This underscores how pervasive the virus has become since Omicron. According to federal health data out of the U.S., by the end of February, nearly 60% of their population had been infected. That's two months ago, by the way, including three out of four children. And as of the end of April, that is one month ago, data showed that 40% of the population here in Ontario had been infected with Omicron, just with Omicron. That's just one of the variants. And other studies have shown that the number of Canadian adults infected with COVID-19 was three times higher 
during the fifth wave, which is Omicron, than the total number of infected in the previous four waves. So, with all of that, I would like to welcome Dr. Fahad Razak for the first time since he has become the scientific director of the COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Dr. Razak, thanks for joining me. Hi, it's great to be with you. Thank you. So, uh, are you surprised? I mean, how many of us have had COVID? I think a lot. Uh, it's remarkable. I'm, I'm not surprised uh, the level of infectivity of Omicron and some of the sub-variants of Omicron that are now spreading things like BA2 or BA4 or BA5 is just remarkable. It is so much more infectious than the original virus that came out of Wuhan two and a half years ago that it's almost behaving like a completely different entity. And the estimates from the U.S. and Canada suggest, just as you said, that probably the majority of our population got newly infected during this wave. Mm-hmm. Well, the the data that I looked at said, not surprisingly, that most of the people infected were unvaccinated, but I know lots of people fully vaccinated, and I don't mean two, I mean three or four shots getting it. Uh, you're speaking to one of them. Oh. So I got Omicron, and I am triple vaccinated, and I did not get infected at any point uh, during the pandemic previous to this, except now, and it came through... Uh, the mechanism that I think a lot of families have experienced, which is that I have uh, my wife and I have two children under the age of five who cannot be vaccinated yet. There's nothing available to them. There's been waves of infection spreading through schools. They got sick. They brought it home. And we both got infected as well. For me, I was more than six months out from my third dose. So I was one of the earliest to get a third dose as a frontline uh, physician as well. I work frontline caring for COVID patients at the hospital. And so we know that the immunity of people after their third dose does start to wane, and especially at six months, has reduced considerably. Uh, yeah. Um, I just heard from a very good friend of mine. She took a trip, and she got her fourth dose two weeks before the trip. She came back with COVID, and it's not trivial. It's not trivial. It wasn't trivial for us uh, as a family. It's not trivial for many people. Look, I think that we need to recognize that the vaccines have done an incredible job. I, I really wonder if we would have had the absolute worst uh, wave of hospitalizations this time if we did not have the significant protection of vaccination. But still, many of the people who got infected, including myself, had very significant symptoms. It took me nearly three weeks to recover from it. And that's triple vaccinated. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this, because I know of this situation, and it's about the 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 best interval. Because we know that if you get COVID, it gives you more antibodies, but not for not not for that long. So if if people have been triple vaccinated and ha- have had a breakthrough case of COVID, what is the best interval? to wait to get that fourth shot? Yeah, we don't have a lot of information on that yet, but the public health guidance will, in each area that someone is in, will tell you, wait for such and such an interval after. And I I would just follow that because, truthfully, we don't know right now what the best combination of vaccination, infection, and then further waiting for a fourth dose is. It's just too early to say. That said, um, I, I want to reassure people that the vaccination has an independent and very important ability to give you prolonged protection. So we have really good evidence now that if you are fully vaccinated, which means three doses for most adults, and then you get an infection on top, you have much more durable immunity and protection than someone who just got infected without also having the vaccination. So the breadth of your immunity against potentially a future variant, plus the durability of it improves if you've been vaccinated. Right, but um, are you are you willing to? I haven't seen guidance that I've seen guidance for the distance between shots, but not adding in uh, an infection. Yeah, I would say that um, it, it's something that's being worked on based on what we've seen for prior uh, waves of immune uh, response and when it starts to wane. For those high risk groups, if you are so, remember that the fourth dose is not the majority of the population right now. It's still a relatively small group of people who are eligible for that fourth dose. If you are in that group 
and you've had three doses and you've been uh, been infected, it's probably reasonable to wait, you know, two months or so until you get your third dose. But I would fourth say that dose. Would, yeah, until you get your fourth dose. I'm sorry, but I that should be a careful conversation with your physician in, individually because. If you are, for example, a cancer patient who's highly immunosuppressed, that may be a different calculation than if you are someone who is now eligible just by virtue of age alone. Yeah, well, our our audience here is is on the older side, so uh, I think most people are eligible at least by by age alone. Right. Uh, so. The, the other thing that we've seen lately is there's been some work on long COVID, and uh, I was a bit surprised. It seems to me that more people are suffering with long COVID than I would have thought. Yeah, really, really important entity, and I think really under-discussed when we talk about hospitalization and ICU as our primary focus. We are ignoring the fact that many people who become infected who do not end up in hospital will still develop prolonged and sometimes disabling symptoms because of long COVID. And that includes older individuals, but also younger and completely healthy individuals who really don't have any risk factors that we can see, but yet will develop fairly disabling symptoms weeks or months after that initial infection. So what percentage of people uh, get long COVID? Activaria study, our estimate is that even in the most conservative definition, the strictest definition, at least 10% of all infected individuals who are unvaccinated will develop long COVID. The major modifying factors we're seeing is if someone is vaccinated. So good example of what happened in Omicron. You have people who are vaccinated, two, three doses, most of those people who still develop an infection their chance of developing long COVID based on everything we've seen from the last couple of years is greatly reduced, maybe reduced by more than 50% because they've been vaccinated. And what are some of the symptoms uh, of long COVID? What, I, I mean, I think it's pretty variable what people end up uh, experiencing. It is highly variable, and it does, I think, reflect the fact that this is still an emerging disease that we are studying, but also that the the virus has really a remarkable and frankly frightening ability to infect and alter and damage almost every organ system in your body. So we now have really good evidence that it can affect the brain, the heart, the kidneys, the lungs, the liver, the immune system, the blood system, and clotting. So because it can affect so many different systems of the body, the symptoms that people develop over time can be highly variable. That said, the thing that most people are, are complaining of who are developing long COVID are is profound fatigue. And, and by fatigue, I don't mean I'm feeling a little bit tired. I mean fatigue as in I cannot function. I'm not able to care for my family. I'm not able to go to work or I'm not able to go to school. Problems thinking, so really hard time focusing, reading, concentrating on a topic, losing thoughts or threads of ideas as they're trying to think through them. Weakness, so muscle weakness, joint pain, really having trouble with that day-to-day physical function. And then beyond that, there's a range of things which are a little bit uh, less frequently reported but important, racing heartbeat, fainting spells. There's a whole range of other things that people are experiencing. And have you figured out anything about what might be a risk factor for long COVID other than not being vaccinated? Uh, So, you know, again, to emphasize vaccinated seems to be the most important. Beyond that, there does seem to to be some evidence to suggest that the severity of the initial infection does matter. Although, again, to emphasize people with very mild infections do develop long COVID. But if you are one of the unlucky few who end up in hospital, especially end up in the ICU, the prevalence or frequency of these symptoms does seem to go up. It does seem to be more common among women. And it does seem to be more common among people who have more complex underlying health disorders at baseline. So if you have a lot of health issues at baseline, the chance to develop long COVID is higher. That said, still an important entity that seems to be affecting a lot of individuals who are otherwise healthy. Hmm. What is your message to people? I mean, for a lot of people are acting, behaving as though this is over. 
they're resuming normal activities. Uh, they're not wearing masks. Uh, I have to confess, you know, most of us wear masks when we're here at work, but you know, it started even for, it started to kind of slip. So what would you tell people who are thinking, okay, we're done with this? Yeah, I would say that even though we feel, understandably, two and a half years, absolute exhaustion, that we feel we're done with this, the virus is clearly not done with us yet. So if we look at Omicron, which we are currently in, we are currently in the Omicron wave. This was by far the most infectious wave that we've experienced with the most number of people getting sick and the highest potential for things like long COVID. Look at comparable parts of the world. New York State, for example, right now has had the biggest surge right now as of this week uh, that's occurred over the last three months. It's gone up by 25% in just the last 10 days, the number of people that have ended up in hospital. And again, this is being fueled by some of these sub-variants of Omicron, in New York specifically, a sub-variant called BA2. We were amazing in this province about getting vaccinated, in this country, about getting vaccinated for our first and second doses to protect ourselves. There's been a serious waning of our vaccination rate. So right now, only 60% of adults have gotten that third dose, and that third dose is critical. Among children aged 5 to 11, only a third of that group have gotten even their second dose. So there's some real opportunities to protect yourselves. Masks remain critical. I still think that there's an important opportunity for the government, for policymakers to require masks in indoor settings, especially where there's high risk of transmission. That said, the weather has dramatically improved. So, it's, you know, we've had beautiful weather the last couple of weeks. Individually, if I was telling my friends and family and my patients, I would say get outside as much as possible. If you can gather with people, make it outdoors. It's dramatically safer than indoors. It allows you to take that mask off and then try and get everyone as protected as possible. Get vaccinated. Use rapid tests. Don't go somewhere if you're feeling unwell. All the other things that we've suggested. And have you heard of cases where people who've had Omicron then getting BA2? So far, it looks like if you were infected in this wave, the chance you're going to get reinfected in this current wave of one of the you know, the new subvariants is very low. It's possible. It has happened, but it is still very low. So that if you were infected recently and you're triple vaccinated, the chance you'll get infected again in this wave so far seems pretty low. Uh, Dr. Razak, what would you like to leave us with? Last 20 seconds. Yeah, last 20 seconds, I would just say again, and I think to your question, please take this seriously. Again, this is not a human adversary. It's a virus. It is not done with us. We all want society to continue, businesses, schools, everything else. Do your, do your best to protect yourself as you re-engage and get out there again. Dr. Fahad Razak, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be with you. Okay, great to be with you. That's all the time we have for today, people. Free for All Friday is coming up. If you could not get through, if you have more questions, I bet that conversation has got some people thinking about COVID uh, that maybe they haven't thought about for the last few weeks and uh, more questions about the service we've been getting and whatever else. That's it for today. We'll talk tomorrow. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.